This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hello and welcome into Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure, our new hockey podcast here on 1500 ESPN. I am Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad and we are going to be talking Minnesota Wild and the NHL at large for the rest of the season and then beyond, hopefully, into the offseason as well to talk about the Wild and Judd. It's uh, very appropriate that we've decided to do this today, one day after the streak is over, the national nightmare is done, the Minnesota Wild are no longer collapsing after a win over the San Jose Sharks. Everybody can take a deep breath and relax. They can just calm down. So the, the, uh, the Wild, which has spent much of this year, of course, in first place in the Western Conference, started off March 2-8. and eight. They had lost their past five. It was okay through what? Four consecutive defeats. They lost 3-2 on Saturday to the Rangers at home. And Bruce Boudreaux attempted to remain as calm as possible. And then he lost his marbles after the Jets' loss on Sunday when the Wild fell behind 4 nothing. Came back to tie it at 4 and lost 5-4. And after that, we all thought, well, the sky is definitely falling now. They beat the Sharks, the tired Sharks team. Um, and, and fittingly, though, Matthew Collar, as we look at the fact that I believe the Blackhawks uh, got a point last night, they went to overtime against Vancouver and lost that game. But it's looking more and more like the Blackhawks are going to win the Central and be first in the Western Conference, which will mean a 2-3 matchup in the Central Division for the Wild. And it's looking more and more like, fittingly, they're going to play Mike Yo and the St. Louis Blues. So this should be a lot of fun if, uh, if after 10 more games for both the Blues and Wild, we get a first-round series pitting Boudreaux and the Wild against their former coach. So let's just say that the rest of the season is played in a pretty normal fashion for the Wild. Let's even just say 500 the rest of the way. Uh, there's some ups and downs. They sit some players. They play the backup goaltender, and they end up just where they are right now. How confident are you in a deep playoff run for the Wild? Now that you've seen that they are capable of a little bit of a slide, yeah. though, though, yeah. I don't think anything big should have been made of that slide because they were still getting more scoring chances than their opponents. Devin Dubnik was bound to have a down game or two or three or four after an unbelievable season. It was just he was playing way above his head. So he was bound to hit a little bit of a bump in the road. But we've we've seen them now go a little ice cold at a time. How's your confidence level going into the playoffs? Because I think with this team, as soon as people realized, you know what, they're pretty good, we automatically just shifted our minds to, all right, now do it in the playoffs. Yeah, I think that uh, that during the course of uh, the first 10 games of March and through the five-game skid, I was 
fairly confident the entire time until I uh, went to the game on Saturday against the Rangers and I saw the post-game locker room. And what disturbed me there was the fact, and I think Boudreaux probably learned this, because up until then, the team had faced very little adversity all season long. What disturbed me then was you did start to see a little bit of the regression to the yo wild. This is not a mentally super tough team. I mean, this does not. This team does not have a taze. This team does not have a guy who can stand up in that room and say, you know what, gentlemen, this ends right now. This is a bunch of BS. Uh, that concerns me because I certainly saw that the past three or four years before this. Now, does Boudreaux make a difference? Probably he does. Uh, I would say, if, though, just from on the ice, my concern is not about the ability to score goals because I think that comes and goes sometimes and there are slumps there. But if, if you go back uh, to the game that they lost a week ago Sunday in Chicago when Dubnik gave up the two qu- uh, quick goals and got pulled, Matthew, the thing about that game is go back and look at the scoring chances, and the Wild had a ton. So I guess my, I guess my confidence would be waning more from the goaltending standpoint, and it's not just the losing streak for the Wild. It's that 30-game stretch or so after Dubnik was so damn good where he started to drop off. And this all comes back to, and this is the one thing that we have never seen, this all comes back to the conversation of can Dubnik win you a game or two per playoff series. So offensively, I think they're going to pick up, and I don't think that they're going to score five nights or five goals a night. I do think that ultimately they could be fine there. I'm much more concerned about the defense in front of Dubnik and Dubnik himself, and I'm not convinced that one game gets him back in the groove. I would like to see him, at least in the remaining games he plays, finish very strong. For me, the concern is more that they have enough flawed players in some way or another. You could almost go down the roster and say, what's what's the guy's shortcoming? Eric Stahl, he's kind of old and not that fast, right? Like Nito, uh, Nino Niederreiter is a tremendous player, but doesn't s- score consistently at a really high level. I mean, just go one by one. Sure. They don't have a player that is flawless. They don't have that Taves is a good example, but Sidney Crosby. Oh, they sure, they yeah. don't have Anze Kopitar, a, a player who is so good of an all-around player that they won't slump, even if they don't score, that they'll continue to dominate the game and they will continue to shut you down and make life very difficult for you. I don't know that the Wild have that caliber of player anywhere on their roster. They don't have a Hall of Fame clear-cut I mean, Parisi might get in the Hall of Fame someday because he's Zach Parisi and has had a great career and Team USA and all that. But the way he's playing now, he's pretty good. I mean, he had a great night against the San Jose Sharks, but those nights are fewer and farther between than they used to be when he played for the New Jersey Devils. So when he takes the Devils to the Stanley Cup Final along with Ilya Kovalchuk, they've got your megastar scorer and your guy who never slumps because he's always good. Mm -hmm. They don't have that on the roster now, and that's where a cold streak would concern me. And I think that that is the reason the St. Louis Blues have not gone deep at any point during their uh, great stretch of being in the playoffs and winning divisions is that they've never had that type of two-way elite center uh, to carry them through a tough playoff series. I mean, if you look at oh, Tarasenko, he could be hot and cold in the playoffs because yeah. he's a pure scorer. Or you know, TJ Oshie was pretty, a pretty good player, but would go ice cold sometimes. Backus was tough, and, but would, wasn't necessarily consistent enough when it came to the goal scoring. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like yeah. Backus is a good two-way player, but he's not that two-way player who's also an, a dynamic offensive player. 
And th- so I think that superstars often beat depth just in sports in general, but especially in hockey. So that is where I'm wondering if they all hit the skids at once, like they did for a few games, who's the guy that's going to carry them? I don't really have an answer to that. The problem also that uh, that this team has against Chicago to me is this. For whatever reason, Crawford stands on his head against these guys. I, I remember a couple of years ago, the Blackhawks, the Wild beat the Blues in the first round of six games. And the Blackhawks played Nashville. And if you recall in that series, Crawford was really spotty and not good. I think he got lifted. Darling started a couple games. I, I think at, at one point that Quenville actually switched goaltenders and did it for a while mm-hmm. to the point of where C- Crawford was essentially benched. And so you got to the second round of that series, Blackhawks Wild, and, and you said, okay, Crawford was great last time against the Wild, but it's not going to keep up this time. In fact, he might not start games. Well, he started games, and guess what? They swept him. Yep. He and went Corey, right back to being Corey Crawford. Yeah, and, and you think about how many times that you've watched Corey Crawford and the Blackhawks play this team, and Corey Crawford, again, th- this year during the season against the Wild, for the most part, has been spectacular. So... I guess the question to me comes down to this. If you can get past the Blues, if you play them in the first round and you play Chicago, can Dubnik outplay Crawford? And and the other thing about the Blackhawks, I guess with, with Chicago, the interesting dynamic to me is they've got a good top line, and then as we've talked about, they probably go a line and a half at least deep where they're really good, and then it drops off quite a bit. But the interesting dynamic about the Blackhawks is Corey Crawford in goal against the wild is one and two is Duncan Keith, Jalmerson, Oduya now who's back from Dallas, who I think is very good. And so it's the back end for the Blackhawks that scares me too. Uh, but I just think that, that as far as the wild goes, my question marks are defense and goaltending in, in the playoffs. I think you could probably score enough to win games, but I am very curious to see if you could get those two things to win high pressure games, especially when you play good teams, and I think it they did a, have done a really good job for most of the year in keeping scoring chances away from Devin Dubnik. I haven't run the numbers in a while, but the last time that I did, uh, they were toward the top of the league in allowing close shots to Dubnik, and he was doing a great job himself um, in, in terms of stopping them. And then I'm, I'm sure some of that hit the skids with his recent slump will come down to him versus Crawford if that's the playoff series or him versus Jake Allen even. I mean, we're kind of already pushing them to the second round already uh, to face the Blackhawks. But to win at all in the playoffs, it comes down to him because that the way they play, I think it requires having a goaltender who can stand on his head at times. Mm-hmm. They are so aggressive. Well, I guess you're right. They are so aggressive in coming out of their own zone, which I love. And the Penguins were last year, and they won with it. And they bring their defensemen in and take some chances. Not yes. a ton, but they do take chances. They do, yeah. I've liked when I've seen Marco Scandella step up in the play, Jared Spurgeon step up in the play and try to drive to the net and, and score. But that also puts you in a tricky situation especially against if there are teams that are fast in transition themselves and can counterpunch pretty quickly mm-hmm. on you. That's why I've never liked the matchup if they were to face Edmonton at some point. Like If Connor McDavid's out on the ice and you're getting overly aggressive, he will abuse you, and that's not what this team really wants. So when it comes to the goaltending, though, I, I, what's hard for me is to predict where Devin Dubnik is going to go because – 
his statistics over the last three years since he's arrived in Minnesota are just terrific. I mean, even last year, his numbers are good when you look at his even strength save percentage. Sometimes save percentage will bounce up and down because of power play. Like if you have a bad penalty kill, then maybe your save percentage isn't that great, even if you were the same exact goalie. But when it gets to the playoffs, I feel like it is a different game for a goaltender. Oh, most definitely. I, yes. I, the, the pressure is higher. I feel like you face more more tough shots, and there's just Team scout so, you more. There's so much scrutiny too. Like when it comes to the media and just the pressure and 100%. everything else. Yes. As opposed to playing a game in January that you get lit up for five goals, it's sort of like, ah, oh, well, see you tomorrow. And it's a back to back, right? But now, when you yep. get in the playoffs, it's a lot different, and that's what makes someone like Corey Crawford so amazing. And was when Chris Osgood was the goalie for Detroit, he never got much credit, but it was like, well, he does the job when it comes to the playoffs, though, and that's all you need. And Jonathan Quick can carry you to a cup, or Henrik Lundqvist can take you to the Stanley Cup final. Can he do that? Can he handle that type of pressure? That I'm just not sure yet, because there have been plenty of goalies who have been good in the regular season, and then Marc-Andre Fleury comes to mind. When it gets to playoff time, that's not the guy you want in net. And until we have a larger sample, like we have with Marc-Andre Fleury, we won't really know. But that's if... like a conference final, right? Yeah. I, I mean, Dubnik got here three years ago now, right? Yeah. And he was, you know, in that run, I mean, he single-handedly willed them into the playoffs, and then they got bounced in the second round. Last year, first round. So, and yeah, I mean, his statistics are good, but as far as the playoff pressure goes, I almost feel like like he, he would need to get on a run to the conference finals before we declared that that's it. He's good. And if that doesn't ha- happen, I think we're going to go to the conversation of, can he do this? And I don't know. I don't know. And the other thing, too, is this. Their defense, I think, is good. And Suter's been fantastic. But, for instance, prime example. Dumba's got got attributes, right? I mean, offensively, he scored the uh, first goal against the Sharks. There's some there there are things there, but if you're going to win a playoff series, Dumba's going to screw up what f- four times, five times? I mean, throughout the course of a long series, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to make defensive mistakes. He is just going to can Dumnik bail him out because if he can't, you're out. And I don't know that to me is the toughest question to to answer, which is. As I said, for one or two games of that series, can Dubnik make saves where you leave the building saying he won them that game? I can't remember a playoff game in which he has played for this team yet where I've left the building saying he single-handedly pretty much won, won them that game. And there's no question I've left wild Chicago games saying that Crawford won them that game. And uh, when you're talking about what they have on defense, I think that they are set up very well with their defense. Maybe it's one of the better ones in the NHL. But now you're talking about facing a team in Chicago that has one of the best defensemen of the last decade. Or if you face uh, Nashville, if things end up working out that way, then you're talking about maybe the best defense in the entire league with three really good pairs, but especially their top four is just fantastic. You know, with P.K. Subban added to the mix. So it's can the depth of this group Uh, sustain over a long time because I think they have two pairs that are good and then there's kind of like a rotating body that's in the third pair that's just all right who's who's playing tonight who's on the third pair and it's a lot of it's a lot of average and if that's Prosser it really concerns me by the way same here same here and and that's what I mean is I, I always thought that they should pick up if they could one more defenseman 
just somebody who's a little more reliable. But there weren't many out there. It's not a it's not a huge criticism of sure. the front office. There weren't many out there. Um, speaking of picking people up, Martin Hansel last night gets his first goal as a Wild, and I think that since he's been acquired, he's played well. He's got a bunch of assists, and he's something that they didn't have, which is a big body who wins battles but can also slow the game down for you at times, not just with the puck but also pinning people in the corner. I mean, sometimes this team gets into such, which for fans is great, such wild back and forth like they're flying up the ice the other team's flying up the blackhawks games have featured that sometimes it's fun and there was even a section of the game against san jose that was that way where it was like oh now they've got a two-on-one thanks chris stewart for that turnover and right so uh you don't want that too much in the playoffs you want to be able to slow the game down and i think hansel brings that he also allows them to move eric howla to a fourth line if they want to the hand, the thing about Hansel. Um, now he came here. He played. I guess when he knew that that he was going to get tra- uh, traded from the Coyotes, he sent his family home for a while. And he got here and talked about, you know, I'm here alone. Blah. And you could tell it's th- there's an adjustment here. Uh, and then he got sick and missed a bunch of the road trip where I think they played at Washington and Carolina. But Matthew, here's what drove me crazy. What drove me crazy, and this was on Twitter, and I saw this. Uh, alluded to by a few folks, which is, do you think the Hansel White trade threw off the chemistry? Okay, let me tell you something, folks. Number one, if this team is mentally weak enough to get thrown off by a trade that adds a third or fourth line center, I'm not talking about a superstar change. I'm talking about a very solid pickup. And and they traded draft picks. If you had taken a key fourth liner, let's say you took a beloved third or fourth line player and traded him to the Coyotes. I could see that causing some problems, okay? But this trade was built on trading not even a prospect, draft picks for Hansel and White. And for anyone to think that that would mess with chemistry, if that's the case, then this is a really mentally weak bunch. Uh, I like the trade. I still like it. Hansel strikes me as a, to your point, a playoff player. He's going to gum things up He's got some skill, but he's going to gum things up. He's going to win some face-offs. It's a good pickup. But for anyone to imply or think that Martin Hansel is a problem, come on. That's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I don't. That drove I, me, that, that that, drove me that crazy. Would, that, to me, would be crazy. And, and I do think, and I do think, I, I think his, uh, his wife and kids are here now, and I think as his comfort continues to grow, he's going to prove to be an effective addition that's the way that i would look at it too is that there's probably an adjustment period sure not just with the family but also with learning how to play for bruce boudreau remembering how to play with good players <laughs> i mean yeah, and this, guy, are mess. this guy this guy spent been, his whole career there right he yeah and he never played there, outside of arizona right and there have been some decent years for arizona they went to the western conference final and he was on that team but for the most part they've been bad in the last couple of years floundering at the bottom of the division so it's been a while since he's been in this environment and gotten a chance even though he's not playing the same role he's down the lineup but maybe a role that fits him better tippet system is is rigid correct yes the tippet system that they play there too is very he's always been known for the defense yeah i was gonna say it's very gum things up slow things down so i mean boudreaux is not 
by any means irresponsibly defensively when it comes to his coaching style, but you do see the Wild activate, a, mm-hmm. I think, a way more than some teams. Do. I, I guess I would call it a more aggressive. Sure. Yeah, that they that they are they tend to be very aggressive. The Wild are from from their back end, and I think forwards too. When uh, one of their defensemen gets the puck and the wingers just take off, that happens all the time where they look for a long pass and and a breakaway or and a they've got the speed. Yeah. So they should do it. It's exactly the right way to do it, but having a guy who can slow things down and throwing off the chemistry, even if it did, you've got a couple of weeks to to get it in place, and you got much better as a team. I really like the trade for Hansel because it says go for it. And I think that when they made the trade, the reason that it, it was – I mean, it was criticized by some for the price that they gave up, but they've got a good system anyway, so it's not a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was talking to somebody last night just about that trade, um, a scout, and that scout was saying that the reason you want to really go for it now with this team is because of Connor McDavid, that Connor McDavid is pretty good right now. He may win the Hart Trophy. He's so good. He's going to get better. And he this is a generational player who is going to be an all-timer and already is like a top three player in the league. So when he hits his peak, you're talking, and they fill in that roster a little more, you're talking about Edmonton, Western Conference Finals, Stanley Cups, year after year, would be almost unbeatable to a team like Minnesota unless they land a generational player themselves at any time soon. Sure. And that's why I think that there's a little more desperation feel to when you have this little slide here. It's like all right, it's fine, it's a slide, we're just kind of going to the end of the season, and then you start to feel that pressure that it's not that they'll never win or never compete again under Boudreaux. It's, all right, well, there's an expansion draft coming up. We'll probably lose a good player to Las Vegas. McDavid is already leading the league in points, and he's like 11 years old. Like, uh, you know, right? Yep. So I, I think that this season has that feel to it. Maybe in the past it was more like, well, we we got in the playoffs. Let's just see what happens. This year, there's desperation to go deep. And I didn't like, and it, that's why on Saturday it bothered me, the feeling in the postgame, collar because the feeling was uptight. It's like the um, the Vikings in there after their bye. You can be around a team at times and feel feel that tension. I like teams where things aren't going where well, where you can feel this, oh, shucks, it's going to be fine. But you could definitely feel people start to tighten up. And I thought Boudreaux on Saturday was very calculated in not being like that. And it was very much on, on purpose. I mean, he, he was asked after the loss last week to the Capitals and then to uh, Carolina, which is a bad team, in both cases, hey, are things going wrong? And he's like, no. I mean, he's like, look at the the body of work that we put together. Things are fine. And then finally on Sunday – he got upset too, but there definitely needs to be now. I think more of a just take a deep breath. It's going to be fine. You're not in a playoff race here. If you finish second, you know what? That's just fine. I mean, we get way. I I think we get way too hung up on the President's Trophy and division title. Nobody remembers who won those things. And home ice is nice. It's nice to have. It's not imperative. Mm. Um, what is your f- feeling too about this? What do you think? Boudreaux learned about his team because Boudreaux has coached a team that I believe until March hadn't lost back-to-back games since late November, if I'm not mistaken. So the adversity factor until March was very low. 
What do you think he learned from his team, and how important do you think it was to learn that before the playoffs came? Because I do think that when things are going wrong, it becomes much simpler to look around a room and say, he handles it well, he handles it well. Guess what? He doesn't handle yeah. it well. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. On May 11, 2016, the Defend Trade Secrets Act went into effect. The act extends the current Economic Espionage Act of 1996, which criminalizes trade secret thefts to the civil arena. This means for the first time, trade secret owners can now bring suit in federal district courts without having to resort to another basis for jurisdiction. While not without critics, the act is a major step forward in the protection of intellectual property in the United States, not least because federal law now fully recognizes four types of intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trademarks, and now trade secrets. Minnesota Statutes Chapter 325C also also provides a civil cause of action in state court for the wrongful misappropriation of trade secrets. If your business has been victimized by the misappropriation of its confidential information, contact an attorney to determine if you have claims under either federal or state law. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdo Law Firm, with a case in point sidebar. Well, I think I definitely think there's that for certain players that he probably found out. Uh, how they handle these things. I also think that he's still, and he mentioned this after the Sharks game, he's still in the process of where everyone is going to be when it comes playoff time. Because if bringing in Martin Hansel did throw a wrench in one thing, it's just where everyone fits best. I think we had kind of figured it out, and now it's like, okay, who does Hansel play the best with? Who is the best fit for him? Because you and I had sort of gone through these lines. We had talked about them before, and it was like, all right, that line's kind of set. That line's kind of set. And now it's like the only line that we're really sure of is Koivu and Zucker and Granlin. Do not mess with that line. You'd be insane to he, break that up. He did briefly. Yeah, bad put idea. Put them right back yep, together. Bad yeah, idea. True. They're a perfect fit. But I think he's finding out now. I mean, even shuffling around Charlie Coyle and trying to figure out and what's best for him. And switch their wing sides. With Coyle, he is one of the most difficult guys, I think, for a head coach. Because it seems like Boudreaux, in order to get him going a few times this year, has had to move him around. And his slump, even though he scored last night, his slump has lasted a long time of not good play. I mean, we are not talking about a handful of games. We're talking about a half a season of not playing very well. And going into the playoffs, I will be interested to see how Bruce Boudreaux uses Charlie Coyle. And if he does play poorly, what he does with him. Could he end up a healthy scratch? Could he end up? Probably I not. I don't think so. Could he, he end up at center? Do it. Yeah, he, didn't he do did it. that. He did that. I mean, he has gone as far as, in fact, uh, about three weeks back. Parisi and Chris Stewart, believe it or not, were on the same line. And in that game collar, he actually moved Parisi to right wing and mm -hmm. Stewart to left wing. And Parisi was asked about it after the game. And the question was, when is the last time that you played on the right side? And he said, I never have. It's really mm -hmm. weird. It takes, he said, in the off offensive zone, it's actually great because of, of how you shoot. But he said in the defensive zone, there's a blind spot. And so I've got to turn around and find that blah, blah, blah. Well, long story short now, the last, what, two or three games, Boudreaux said last night, he's flipped Coyle and Parisi. And so I do admire the fact that, that Boudreaux, who clearly came here and said, you know what, I'm not playing favorites. I'm going to do what's best for the team. And if you are used to this or that, don't be, has taken Parisi 
and moved him to his off wing. But the coil conundrum or question is a great one because if they were going to scratch him, they had every opportunity and mm-hmm. ample reason to scratch him two months ago, and they didn't do it. I mean, they scratched Pominville on Sunday. Pominville uh, had played for him well, got sick, came back, struggled, and got scratched. But the frustrating thing about Coyle to me, though, too, is this. I look at Charlie Coyle, and I say, there's a playoff player, right? Should be. Size. Should be. Size, abilities, everything about Charlie Coyle screams made for the playoffs. Right now, I have zero confidence. I have zero confidence. I don't know. I don't know how he'll do. I don't know if he'll be consistent. I don't think he will at this point. But I've pretty much convinced myself that if he wasn't scratched in January or February, not going to be scratched now. Now, he does have only 13 points in 34 playoff games for his career. Yeah. And a minus 13. Not that but plus minus. But we've been waiting for him to turn but, it around. But what I mean is, so, right. so far in his playoff career, Charlie Coyle has shown very little. Yeah in terms of a guy who can take over a series. In the last 16 games in the playoffs, Charlie Coyle has two goals. Yeah, that, That's not a great sign. Uh, Parisi, though, he played really well. He played like 2008-2009 Zach Parisi against the San Jose Sharks. It's, I think, a really good sign that he is playing that way, or at least still has that. I don't expect him to do that over three playoff series. Yeah. If he gives them one series like that, like he played last night, uh, he is going to win it on his own. He was so good. I mean, winning battles all over the place. No shots, but two assists. But right, creating shots for teammates, winning battles, like ending plays on defense. Just, just a powerhouse out there. Which you know, for a guy his size, was always amazing that he could dominate. And that was him on a nightly basis back then. Exactly, and it's not now, and it hasn't been for a few years. But if he can give that every third game in the playoffs, every once in a while, where he can just operate a game and control the pace and and take pucks away from the other team and be in front of the net, all those things that he did last night, then you will probably win. You'll probably win every game that he plays that well. Because when he is at that level, it is elite player, dominant, exactly what you pay $10 million for. Yeah, I saw it. I mean, I, I can tell you the, the amount of times, at least at the X, I've seen that game from him this season. I saw it, I want to say, against the Blues. It might have been, oh, I forget when. It might have been around in late November or so. I saw it against the Blues. I definitely saw it in a game against the Penguins. Saw it l- last night. And it's not that Prezi doesn't want to be that player on a nightly basis now, Matthew. It's that he's not capable. But there are some nights where it's there. And when it's there, because the thing with Zach is, I think people that don't watch Zach and through the years have heard about his style of play, think to think to themselves on buying a ticket to watch a superstar. His whole when when he's at his best, his whole game is based on he plays like a fourth line guy with skill, but he's got skill. So we saw that last night. That would be great in the playoffs. I just don't know how often you, you can count on that. I think that depends on his back. I think that depends on a, a lot of factors. I mean, he's, what, 32 now? He's not a kid. He has got he had a bad back that kept him out of the playoffs last year. So, yeah, if they can get that, that style of play. But this also, this conversation about the playoffs also comes down offensively to very simply, are you going to get the production on a nightly basis, which you have to get from not just a 
Granlund, who's been great. Are you going to get it from Granlund? Are you going to get it from Halla? Niederreiter? Is that group of players now going to be able to contribute a lot on a nightly basis? Because if you don't get that contribution, we're going to be right back in the bin of, man, this group of players, which looked really good for a while, has disappointed you. And Granlund might be the guy that if, if you were saying, all right, who has to, in the playoffs, take over and be a star under the bright hot lights, I think it's I think it's Granlund. I mean, I think now he is making that transition but really could establish it in the playoffs that he is their superstar. Mm-hmm. I He's got that opportunity. He can do it. He has yes. the talent to do you. it, and he has shown it throughout this year at times. Uh, a lot of the time, really, that he can play at a superstar level. But if he doesn't show up in the playoffs and he gets neutralized because of his size or for whatever other reason, or teams find a way to clog up the neutral zone where he's so great, then I think we'll say, well, the Wild are still short that superstar that is always the reason that they don't get there. If if you were to ask me uh, from this group of players, if you were to ask me to rank who I I would expect the most from, so just starting with... With I'll be very disappointed if he doesn't achieve what he should. I start right there, Granlund. Mm-hmm. Granlund has shown me enough this year where I'm going to be very disappointed if he does not have a, a great playoffs. That doesn't mean that they'll win a series, and it doesn't mean that things will go great. But if you ask me, Granlund has now this year separated himself from that pack mm-hmm. where he has played consistently at a level I will be very disappointed and very surprised if we don't see him have a really good series, win or lose for the Wild. I'm going to give you three names, and I want you to tell me which one of these guys has the best chance at winning the Jack Adams Award. Okay. Bruce Boudreau, okay. Mike Babcock, John Tortorella. Ooh, now uh, three weeks ago I would have said Bruce Boudreau. But... <laughs> This is voted on, if I'm not mistaken, by broadcasters. Which is just... I know it's stupid. It's so I know it's goofy. stupid, but if it it's was... so goofy. But if it was writers, I would eliminate torts, actually. Can, can I say this, though? Can yes. I say this? Um, with the Jack Adams, it really shouldn't be an award for, oh, you were better than we thought. It should be who was the best coach that year. Yes. Not... Oh, oh! Look, we thought you were going to be okay, and we were or we were wrong. You turned out to be good. I think, given the, I think, given um, all the factors, I would go torts. Probably, I would probably go torts. Uh, I would have said Boudreaux previously, probably. But when I, the more I think about that Columbus franchise, I would probably go. Tortorella. I, I would probably go Tortorella. I might go Babcock second now. Babcock's done a great job. I think Babcock's a great heart. I think the Maple Leafs are the Cubs. Yeah. I really do. I agree. I think the way the I think the way the Maple Leafs are, have been built and to go out and get and get the best coach and pay for him and to be bad for a while, but now progress sort of slowly, but you can tell they're gonna be really good. I think the Maple Leafs are the Cubs, but for this season I'm gonna go towards. Yeah. You? And- Just like in baseball, where many teams have gone to the bottom and thought they would just draft and fix everything, and it hadn't worked out like the Colorado Avalanche or the Buffalo Sabres, by the way. Uh, The Maple Leafs have made many other good moves around just uh, getting Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and those guys. Babcock deserves a lot of credit because of the age of his team. Yes. I will say that age and experience are overrated, though. I mean... 
Crosby wins, I think, in his third year. Taves wins in his fourth year. And Matthews, in, in fairness, Matthews has the pro old experience. hypothetical it as well. He also has pro experience, too. He yes. played. I mean, uh, he's young, but he's not young. Yeah, he went to Europe. the Swiss League Championship yeah. last year. Instead of juniors. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, a, it's a little who's different. Who's your uh, winner of the Jack Adams? I think it's got to be Tortorella. Because that the state of the Columbus franchise yeah. was really rough. Now, I will say, pat myself on the back, that I did write an article at the beginning of the year saying, don't doubt Tortorella's coaching ability because he has won a Stanley Cup. He took the Rangers to the playoffs year after year. He is a really good coach just because of his personality. You can't count him out. And they had a young roster with a lot of good players that people hadn't heard of because it's Columbus. Sure. If I look at the guy who has just simply made his players better, though, it's Bruce Boudreaux. I mean, you can actually put your hands on the coaching. It's very rare that you can, but with him, you could put your hands on it. You could say, look at Granlin, look at Zucker, look at these guys. Look at even uh, Brodine, who last year people were like, this guy's a bust. And now he's become like a good role-playing defenseman. There are so many players that you can look at and point to, and it's so obvious how much better they are and how much of a better fit that he deserves that. But if they don't win the division even, then Which he, I don't think they will no, now. No, so he won't, he won't get a chance at that if Chicago wins the division. I say Tortorella ends up winning it. But Babcock is, is very deserving with a young roster and really not a very good defense. Boudreaux is, if he deserves credit for one thing, it's he's been a master puppeteer. He's been, I mean, that was the one thing. Mike Yo was pretty young in his first job and and inherited uh, two superstars who were very highly paid. And going in and being a puppeteer at that age with that experience is very tough. Boudreaux has been exactly what this team had to have, which was a guy that could come in and say, we're going to do it my way, and then plays everybody perfectly. I'm sorry, but when you can move Parisi to right wing, not even in midstream, but late, and basically say, you're doing this, that's really impressive. Because, as, as you know, there's a lot of coaches that might try that, and the player would be like, I make $13 million a season. <laughs> right, I ain't right. moving anywhere. And in some cases, the GM would come down and say, we ain't moving him. So that impresses me. The buy-in from the entire team to yes. Boudreaux from start to finish has been impressive. With Tortorella, him changing. I tend to be one of those people-never-change-like yeah. thinkers. But midseason, some of the players for Columbus felt like Tortorella was being too aggressive, getting too, too yelling at them too much, getting too much on them, which you could just hear old-school hockey fans. Back in my day, everybody yelled at everybody. But um, in this case, Tortorella listened to his players and said, you know what, maybe the reason I've been canned from a couple other jobs is because I didn't listen and was too arrogant. And it seemed like that uh, experience in Vancouver humbled him quite a bit. And he seems like a different guy, and he even plays a different style now. He was all defense before, and now they play an up-tempo, faster game. He progresses a lot. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, the the whole, and this is going to sound silly, but but, uh, hockey people, it's not. The morning skate thing. I mean, yep. he's he's one of these guys on the on the cutting edge of being like, this is ridiculous. And you know, hockey people, oh yeah, they don't change. I mean, damn it, we've been having morning skates since you know Toe Blake, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so Torts an interesting case because 
I think you look at him and his style or or what it was, and you're like old school through and through. But the reality for him is he does adapt. Yeah, yeah. And seeing him do it this year and paying attention to the thing with the morning skates, uh, if you were going to say which coach would be the most progressive this year, right. you probably wouldn't have guessed John Tortorella. No, you would guess some young hot shot or something like that. But, yeah, so I would say he goes first. Babcock maybe second right now. Boudreaux third. I'm just really impressed. Babcock's just such a good coach. Yeah. He's done such a great job with the Ducks and then the Wings and now the Leafs. All right. So Judd and I will be getting together every week and then maybe even more when it comes to playoff time. We will be spending quite a bit of our time at the X watching the Minnesota Wild. So you want to keep checking back in, subscribe, leave your reviews and and so forth as as long as they're good because Judd has a very sensitive ego. Podcast one now. We're big too. Exactly. We're making big money. (laughs) Or somebody's making big money. I'm not sure exactly. Uh, We both have. I'm going to find them and get them We both have Suter and Parisi uh, contracts. (laughs) Contracts. Thanks, Craig Uh, Leopold. So, all right. So make sure you keep checking back and uh, give us a listen. Matt and uh, Judd's Hockey Adventure. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota. So little time.